You guys see that? This, is, this isn't like clickbait or, or fake news. This is uh, CBS Sports. Philadelphia Eagles. Look, Eagles, WR. That, that's a wide receiver. Wide receiver. I'm not a football guy. Gets baptized at the team's hotel pool before the Panthers game. Marcus D. Johnson, first time, this is on Twitter, first time being baptized. Corporate worship is a beautiful thing. Cleansed and reborn in Jesus' name. I read the article, uh, and they were saying that there's been a spiritual awakening on the football team, the Eagles. CBS Sports is saying that there's been a spiritual awakening in the Philadelphia Eagles football team. Uh, the quarterback, what's his name? Wentz or something like that? Wentz? Okay. He's like, he's like, I read, he's like, he's like Nebraska boy or North Dakota boy, that corn, corn, corn fed raised kind of thing. He's a quarterback. And uh, before the games are praying and, uh, you know, two guys and three guys and four guys, just like the you know, five guys that are like saved on the team and are like vocal about it. I think uh, they said when the team picked a charity to run for, like there was like some like self-expression day in the NFL, uh, they picked cleats uh, with, with, with the focus on the resurrection of Jesus. So what's going on here is like before a game, like people are getting baptized and I'm just getting fired up because it's Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Uh, it is the place 240 years ago where America decided to sign a document called the Declaration of Independence. I thought the Lord was saying that in the same town, in the same city, the Lord is bringing forth a spirit of spiritual independence from the world and dependency on God. A freedom from the king of the world. I was just so stoked and so excited because people have been praying, man. I mean, we've been praying for revival in this place for the last year or two. I got buddies of mine who have been worshiping and intercending for years. You'll see some of them next weekend when we, when we do the worship conference. And the Lord is just like, he's brewing. He's making something happen. A couple weeks ago, right, we had the, we had the baptisms. I mean, there's, there's healings that are taking place. Amen. Don't forget. And so I'm like, when I saw this, it was like, oh yeah, the Lord is preparing. He's beyond preparing. He's moving. CBS Sports declares spiritual awakening for the city of Philadelphia and the Eagles. Come on now. Come on now. That's something to be excited about. All right. So that's my interlude into this week. Woo! This week, I want to preface or state from the beginning, uh, this is going to be the last message in our Heroes of Faith series. So we'll see how the Lord leads, but this, this is the last hero or the last heroine. <coughs> Excuse me. Heroin. <clears throat> Female hero, right? <clears throat> oh, Jesus. Dave, there's no need to rush. Praise the Lord. Okay. First slide, please. All right. I'm sorry, second slide. All right. We're going to do something here. Story of Esther... The story that you're more than a number. 1936, a number was given to American citizens to be able to track citizens and also to determine and track their ability to give taxes to the United States government. It's known as your social security number. 1936 is created. 
The purpose of it was to track you. Not just track you like to monitor you like a government. They, they needed a system to determine how much money you were making and how much were you giving to the state. So the number was created. Um, it, it's kind of spooky, actually. Here is one of the first ones, September 3rd. I'm sorry, December 3rd, 1936. It's one of the first ones that was created. Um, what we have here is 5.5 million new numbers are created every year, uh, and yours has never been reused. Mathematically, there's so many digits, yours will never be used uh, until like many, many, many generations. So your numbers, your numbers, never been used, won't be used again for many generations to come. But I started looking at the, uh, the sequence of the numbers. Uh, and if you can go to the next slide here, the first set, right? Everyone knows they're three digit, they're two digit, and then they're four digit, right? The first sequence, the three digits, uh, is actually based upon the geog geographical location of where you were born. As long as you were born before 2011. 2011, they changed it because computers had the power to, 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 to give out numbers. So, for example, I'm born in New York. Uh, the sequence between 050 and 134. So anyone else uh, born in New York? Born in New York, right? So obviously I don't want you to tell me your social security number, but it's most likely within that sequence. If it's not, then there's something else going on. It's really technically where your parents filed the paperwork. So if they filed it later when they were in New Jersey, it would have gotten a different number. But if your parents filed it, uh, in New York, then it would be that number. Pennsylvania, another one. Puerto Rico, because I know some, some of us were born in Puerto Rico, uh, your digits are off to the side in the 500 range. If not, once again, it de determines where your parents actually did the filing, okay, and which postal code. Whatever the case would be, the first three digits, I know mine, I'm New York, I'm not going to tell you what my first three digits are because this is recorded. <laughs> Don't give your social security number away to anyone, right? But the first three... Uh, are in fact within that sequence right there of, of the hundreds, okay? So, okay, so that's going on, and I'm like, all right, all right, all right, what about the next sequence? Now, this, the, before you get to the next slide, this, this, is, this, is, this, this frustrates me. The second sequence of numbers, right, the two digit, like what is this, right? I'm like, oh, is it your town or something? No, it's not your town. It's even more morbid and disgusting than like, all right, what state, then maybe like the county, and then, you know. It's, it's worse than that, okay? It's worse than that. You go to the next slide. It is, in fact, which filing cabinet you are in. So, all right, for I know Bill is from New York. He and I are in the 100s. So we're in the 100 aisle section, okay? And then, uh, uh, and then uh, I'm in a, a certain box in that 100 section. And Bill is in another box in that 100 section. And if someone was born out in California, you're out in the 600s. They, they refuse to use, by the way, the first three sequence of 666. They do not use that. They actually don't. They don't. <laughs> All right. And then the last four is just kind of like the randomness of the hospital when they get the paperwork inside. But it's like, I was looking at this, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like, this is pretty, this is pretty jacked up. Like in 1930, like, it's so funny how accustomed we come to things. I'm not trying to get like that all conspiratorial, like the social security number. I'm not doing that. But what I am saying is in the 1930s, when this came out and it was discussed, uh, there was some public outcry saying, you shall not lower me to the standard of a number. 
I am a citizen of the United States of America. I am not a number. Now, what I believe happens here is, right, that, that generation or those people that were outcried about this on a philosophical level, right, they, they, they pass away or they become a minority. And what happens here is we, we, we begin as a people to be accustomed to being just a number. Today, I, I actually believe today that many people unknowingly, unknowingly feel that they are simply a number. You may say, no, I'm not a number. I'm an individual. I'm a human being. Well, I feel that quite possibly that there are people that unknowingly, unknowingly they feel they are just a number. They may not, they may not say it, but their actions suggest that their soul has been succumbed to a false reality. That's false reality is that they are just a mere person within the sea of humanity. Let me say this again. You may say that, oh, I'm not just a number. I'm a human being. I have purpose. I have this idea. But maybe your actions are suggesting that you've succumbed to this idea, this false reality that I'm just a number in a filing cabinet in this vast sea of humanity. Well, I was meditating on this and I felt the Lord tell me, give me like a little thing. Maybe it can become a song. Maybe it can be. Maybe. Who knows? I mean, that spirit is here. Can go to the next slide, please. Oh, lessons from Esther. You're more than a number. Can go to the next slide, please. The world makes you feel like a mere number. The father views you as his beloved. Business makes you feel like a cog in the wheel, but Jesus made you a son or daughter. The enemy says you have no purpose. The Holy Spirit marks you to be a world changer. Do not listen to the lies. You have purpose and a destiny. Learn from Esther. You are more than a number. You are more than a number in the kingdom of God. You are more than a number at your workplace. You are more than a number in this community right here. You are more, you are more, you are more than a sequence of digits by a social security number. Right? You are an individual with thoughts, feelings, emotions, purpose, giftings. But some of us get beat back from that. And this is really the lesson in the story of the book of Esther. So, the next slide here, in the book of Esther, what we have here, if you guys haven't read it, I'm going to give you a, a brief synopsis, because not everyone has read it, but you should. Our, our last hero of faith, or our heroine of faith, uh, the book of Esther takes place in the 5th century before Messiah, before Christ in Persia. There are four key characters, really, King Xerxes, Haman, Esther, and Mordecai. These are the four people that are involved. And essentially what has happened is the Jews are living in captivity. They're living in Persia and Babylon, the Persian Empire. Wickedness has rose up. There's an evil man by the name of Haman. Uh, right. uh, wicked man of Haman who rises up and starts speaking to the king. Xerxes. The Jews are bad. We need to take care of them. We need to get rid of them. We need to extinguish them. Now we just read the book of Esther like, oh, okay, it was cool, they were saved. But look, man, if, if, if the enemy rose up and took out the Jewish people in Esther, there'd be no Jesus. That's where the spirit comes from. 
If Egypt would have slayed or slain all of the firstborn of Moses, right? If all of this happens, there'd be no seed for, for the Messiah, right? And so what's going on here is the spirit of, of the Antichrist, the spirit of, of hell is rising up in Hamilton, saying, destroy the Jewish people so that the deliverer of mankind cannot come forth. That's what's going on here. And so there, there's a tag team, there's a team of people, an uncle by the name of Mordecai and a niece by the name of Esther. And Mordecai comes over, he receives a prophetic word. And he speaks to his niece, who he's raising in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. This is Mordecai speaking. For if you remain, Esther, completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. She's this beautiful woman. And Mordecai senses from the Spirit of God that she was born for a purpose. And that purpose was to go to the king and convince him that what he is hearing from Haman is, is wrong. And she's going to do it, yes, by her looks. Yes, she's going to do it by her Lord. By the beauty that God gave her, she eventually is going to be wed to the king. And as his wife, one of his wives, she's going to speak into his life and say, what you're doing is going against what is true and right. Amen? But what's so beautiful here is this. For our purposes and studying. So this, is so many, you know, this is so beauty of the word. Every chapter of the Bible, every character, there's so many things that you could go. And so part of the difficulty for me is like going before the Lord, like, Lord, what are you speaking now? As so I feel the Lord was speaking this. In Esther chapter 4, 14, it says that she was born for such a time as this. But her uncle says, Esther, if you don't do it, someone else is going to. I am telling you that there are people in mega ministries that are lighting the world on fire that that person may not have, in fact, been God's first choice. God goes to someone and says, I'm calling you to do something. And if you're like, now nah, I'm not going to do it because I have all this stuff, the Lord's like, fine, I want to raise someone else up. The beauty of the gospel is the gospel goes forward with you or without you. But Jesus so wants you to be a part of it. If I wasn't willing to become a pastor, you would have raised someone up. But what's so beautiful, he's like, Dave, but I, I want you to do it. And if you're not speaking the gospel at work, fine, you don't speak the gospel word. The Lord is going to raise someone else up. But the beauty of the love of the Father is he so wants to just use you and you and you and you and you and he wants to use everyone. But you have a choice. Will I use, be used or not? You see, Luke chapter 7, verse 21, it says, The kingdom of heaven resides inside of every man. Not inside of Alan, not inside of Anne, not just inside of me, inside of everyone. See, you have access to the kingdom of heaven inside of you. And it's got to get out. And if you don't do it, don't worry. God's kingdom will go forth. But it won't be a crown that you get to lay at his feet at the resurrection. We get to cast, right? That mural right there. We're able to cast those crowns at the feet of Jesus at the resurrection. And say, Lord, you gave me an anointing to do something and I did it. And here it's back to you again. 
Another interesting thing about Esther, which like drives people nuts, I challenge you, go, go, go read every single word. Read every single word of Esther. It is the only book of the Bible that does not mention God once. Not once. Not God, not Holy Spirit, not El Elyon, Almighty God, not Spirit of God, nothing. God is not mentioned at all. But it's in the Bible. Now this is not a point of sacrilegious. It's not, it's not a sacrilegious thing. There's a purpose in it. It's one of the stories in the Bible where God is not mentioned, but he is clearly there, but he's choosing to manifest himself in power through you. And then I say, you are the focus of this, 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 this book of the, of the Bible. God is not even mentioned because they're saying, you know what, let's make a book of the Bible and tell the story where the focus is, is mankind walking in obedience to God. <laughs> Jesus right now sits at the right hand throne of the Father. He's not here. Get your theology right. He is not here. He is not here. He's at the right hand throne of the Father, petitioning for the saints day and night, night and day as a high priest before a holy God. He is not here. Jesus come. He's not coming to the end. Who is here is the Spirit of God. That's even better. What are you, Dave, how can you say this? If we had Jesus here right now, we would have what the disciples had. And Jesus said to the disciples, you don't want me here. Because I need to go and be resurrected so I can send the comfort. I can send the spirit of God. Amen. So if we're praying in our prayers, Jesus come, Jesus come, Jesus come. You would have what the disciples had. But yet Jesus said to the disciples, I am here, but you don't want me here. You want me in heaven so I can bring a release of power and anointing on your life. Now, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God. And there's a triunity in the unity, right? There is. But the Holy Spirit is in me for my sake and on me for other people's sake. The Holy Spirit is in us to form us and give us boldness and anointing. But it becomes upon us to go out like Esther and to teach the good news. That's not me right there. That's Bill Johnson, by the way. God is in us for my sake and on us for your sake. Now we're in Zagar. Let me write that down. Bill Johnson, I'm going to write that down. Thanks, man. A release. So God's not mentioned in the Bible because the purpose of it is Esther and Mordecai walking out. In the story, right, there's a preparation that takes place. Remember, giving you a background. Esther, for one year, she's preparing herself to meet the king. So when she goes and meets the king, that she can, yes, allure him. And yes, so she can be married to him. So that, yes, she could go to him and say, you can't kill my people. And she prepares for a year, putting on oil and perfume and, and getting all dolled up and getting all ready to have that meeting with the king. And she does. And she is married to him. And through that, she speaks life into the situation. And she convinces the king that what he is doing is wrong. And that Haman, the bad guy, is really just positioning himself to try to take over. Esther chapter 8, verses 7 through 8. 
says, Then King Asaurus, or King Xerxes, said to Queen, Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged Haman on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. Chapter 10, verse 3, it says, And at the end of the story, for Mordecai the Jew was second to only the king, and was received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all the countrymen. This story of Esther has clear symbols for us. One Esther, God wants to use you. You got to say that like every morning in the mirror. Today, God wants to use me. That's why he saved you. He didn't save you just for life eternity. He saved you to, to, to go and preach the good news, to, to be a witness unto your brothers and sisters on planet Earth. He has called you to be used because you are who he has on Earth, accompanied by the Holy Spirit. The signet ring, the ring which, which is said here that, that, that the king gave Mordecai into Esther. Here is the signet ring. You now get to walk in the authority of the king. God, through his son, has given us the signet ring. He has given us the authority, because of the blood of Jesus, to walk out and to go forward and to defeat the enemy like Esther did. You have the authority to change the kingdom from death to life. But you got to get it in here. You have that authority. Jesus gave it to you through his blood. And lastly, on the symbols, at the end here it says that Mordecai was second only to the king. He had so much authority in the kingdom that the only one that was above him was in fact the king. This is like us. Like We need to tap into the type of authority that we have been given as sons and daughters. Thank you. It's a good message, right, Bill? Amen. Glory to God. Walking out in that type of authority. You have the ring, it's the cross, it's the blood of Jesus. The authority by the Holy Spirit to go forward and to change the kingdoms of men out there. So in Esther's life, what released this kind of favor? Well, one, is we see in the beginning, Mordecai goes through and he says, look, God wants to use you, but if he doesn't use you, he's going to raise someone else up. So what releases the favor in Esther's life to, to be written in the Bible, to be used mightily by the God, by God, by, by God? Well, we could use someone else, but what is Esther's response? Esther's response is, I will be used, and if I perish, if I die, then I die. She could be like, ah, you know, it's kind of cool just hanging out on the farm. I'll pick up some nice Jewish boy, I'm good looking, everything's going to be fine. And someone else can risk their life to save the nation and the people. But she says, no, I will do it, and if I perish, then I will even perish. There, is, uh, there needs to be a release of this type of favor and a release of this anointing in your life when we adopt this type of spirit and things that we're learning from the book of Esther. And that is, you must lay down your life. You must perish. It's not if I perish, then I perish. No, you must perish. 
Your flesh needs to die. When it dies, it releases the favor and the anointing that was on Esther. To change kingdoms, to change nations. Whoo! So you need a willingness to die to self. Good luck with that one. We will pray for you for that. Because that's hard. We don't need it. It's a great saying in Hebrew. Yeah, you guys go like a bar mitzvah or do Jewish wedding. They're like, they're like, Mazal Tov. You ever hear that? Mazal Tov? Mazal Tov. In America, they go, Mazal Tov. In Israel, it's Mazal Tov. Right? But America is Mazal Tov. Right? Well, yeah, Mazal Tov, or it means Tov is good, Mazal is luck. So you're wishing them good luck. Oh, but there is this, there is this, there is this Jewish saying or this rabbinical saying in the books, deep, deep in the books, that's this, Ein mazal Israel, Rak Hashem. There is no luck to Israel, only God. There's no mazal. There's no luck. There's only Hashem, the name. There's only God. So we don't wish each other luck. Right? Because there is no luck to the children of God. There's only, only God. That's all you need, amen? There's a message right there. I'm getting fired up. Woo! One, use me. I will die to the flesh. Two, to acknowledge, you have to acknowledge that there is a perfume of righteousness on you. For one year, Esther adorned herself with perfume and oil, getting her ready for the, for the wedding, getting ready for the king. And I'm telling you that the oil in the, in the perfume is on you. But you need to acknowledge that you have a perfume of incense that smells like the precious blood of the Lamb of God. When my groom, when my heavenly father, right, when, when, the, when the bride and the bride comes in, what does he smell? He smells the blood of the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. That anointing, that smell, that perfume is on me that God is just like, oh, I'm so ravished by you, church. I'm so ravished by you, Bristol. It's not Chanel number five. It's not Tommy Hilfinger or Ralph, Ralph Lauren Black or whatever the heck it is. He smells. And his heart is stirred because when he smells you, he smells the representation of Jesus. You get what I'm saying? It's a symbol, right? Okay. So you have to acknowledge that that aroma is on you, man. That aroma is on you. You, you. you touch God's heart. It's like, oh, when I see you, I see Jesus. When I see you, I see the perfect thing that I've ever made, right? That's, that was slain at the foundations of the world for you. I see that in you. I smell that on you. And when you walk in that, man, whoo, ain't my zal, right? There's, there's no luck. There's only anointing the Holy Ghost. Oh, man. There's also an oil upon you. Esther put perfume on. She also put oil. What is the oil? It's the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit. You have it, you have the perfume and you have the oil, but now it's time to acknowledge that you do have it. I smell good before God. I smell like the blood of Jesus. And I have the anointing oil on the Holy Ghost upon it. And when you walk out with that, you can walk right into that king's room. You can walk right in there with the authority knowing that you are wed together in the spirit. Amen? But you got to acknowledge it. Another thing here that we see which releases the favor and the anointing of the Lord from the book of Esther. Right? The bride says, hey, if I die, I die. I die in my flesh, fine. Die to your flesh. Acknowledge who you are by the oil and the blood which is upon you. And then there's a third piece here found in Esther chapter 8, verse 6. 
She says, for how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I adore, endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? You see, what happens here is right before all this is happening, she's talking to the king and she's like, I'm not okay. I can't endure knowing that my people are going to be killed. I can't endure knowing this. And she petitions, she petitions, she prays, she prays. It's like us saying, I can't endure anymore, Lord, at the loss of the lost. They're not supposed to be lost. They're supposed to be saved. My family members that are not walking the way they should go, I can't endure it anymore, Lord. You need to show yourself approved in this. So what it does is it releases an intercession in your life. I die to myself. I acknowledge the anointing and the blood that is upon me. And you intercede on the behalf of those people upon you. Now, but there is a blockage. There is a blockage in our lives, largely, that keeps this from happening. Am I good? Can I go a couple more minutes? All right, even if he said no, you know, it doesn't matter. But, you know, I just thought it'd be nice. People are like, oh, wait, what? A couple more minutes? Jesus, man. Ooh. Uh, there is a blockage that keeps us from walking this out. Uh, and I think largely it's because you still think you are a mere number. You think you're still a number. The world tells you you're a number. But you're not. You're not a number. You're one of the heroes of faith. You're living in biblical times. You are living in biblical times. You are not a mere number. Now a number, what is a number? Well, it's a digit, right? But when I'm talking about like a social security number, right? It was built to track your income, to track your money. You know if you are a mere number, if you go through life just trying to get along. Just getting along, just getting through it, being able to exist, being able to get through, pay the bills. I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to make money to gain value and pay my bills. An individual in the kingdom of God thinks differently. The world wants to make you a number. You just, you're faceless. You have no identity. You have no character. You're like everyone else, just waking up, going to work, coming home, paying the bills. But the kingdom, the kingdom thinks differently. A number feels they have no significance. A number, if you're a number, you're essentially an animal. You're an animal. I was just talking about this in my history class the other, the other day. What makes a human a human? Kids are like, what? I'm like, do you know what an animal is, right? They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, what is a human? You are a human. What are you? Or rather, I should say, who are you? I can't preach the gospel in school, but like, I, I stirred a pot of it. Who are you, man? What's the difference between us and animals? Take the wolf. What does the wolf do all day? He runs. He goes and hunts. Eats it. Rests. Next day goes, runs, hunts, and procreates. You are a number. You are no different than an animal. If you do what the animal does. And that is, what is the hunting? It's the working to provide for the meal. To gain a family or to procreate, to have children. You are no different than an animal. If that's all you do. I call those people human doings. They're not human beings. I tell the kids, what is a human being? A human being is someone who is self-actualized. Someone who knows who they are. 
They know what's going on. And in the church, what I'm saying here is you're a human being and you're not a number. You're not an animal. You're not just a human doer. When you understand that to be a human is because the breath of God resides inside you. He picked up the dirt and gave you his breath. It allows us to be sentient, understanding beings. That makes us different than the animals. And a man who's in the know is a human being. And he understands there's more to life than just gaining up the kingdoms of, of men. What profits a man that gains the whole world but loses his soul? What profits a man if he gets a 52-inch television but his prayer life looks like an Atari? What profits a man if he builds and buys a McMansion? But his intercession, his prayer life, his fasting life looks like nothing. Animals work to eat, to survive, to breed. Human beings exist to think and engage the heavenly. A mere number is an animal. A human being is someone who's been made in the likeness and the image of the Most High God. Worship team, we come on down. Next slide. Esther, you're more than a number, people. The Lord knows every hair on your head. He knows what you are. He knows you're coming up. You're rising down. He knows everything about you. You're so specially made. Kate, you like this? All right. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow, psychiatrist. Pretty good stuff, though. I don't want to completely knock it, but spiritually, I'm going to knock it in a moment. Maslow says that what happens here is every human being goes through, hopefully will go through all stages of, of the development, all stages of the pyramid. What he argues here is all of humanity needs certain things. First thing they need is your physical needs met. I mean physical needs, food in your be belly, water, clothing. Once you get that, then you can move into the next stage. The next stage would be safety, shelter. Think about this. Let's say if someone abducted you, put you in a plane, dropped you off in the middle of the jungle, butt naked. What would, what would be your stages? Like, you're not going to be like, oh, let me, uh, let me look for food first. You're going to be like, I gotta, all right, I got to get warm, right? Maybe not the jungle, but say it was the Arctic, right? There's certain stages to survival. So the first stage is I need some food, I need some clothing, I need some water, essentially. The next stage is you need to feel safe. So maybe you need a house, but you, you need to be a person that feels that you are safe. Once you get those two done, you move into the place of that you need. You need, and all humans need this. You need love and a sense of belonging. And so the argument here is when we look at households that are ripped apart and communities that are completely destroyed, there can be no search for love and belonging if you're starving to death. You can't have a sense of belonging, the world would say, if you haven't had the basic needs met first. So you have to pass through each stage to get to the next one, Maslow says. So you get your physical needs met, you get your safety and your shelter met, then you get your love and belonging enough, and now, now you can work on feeling like you have a self-esteem and self-worth. But you see, where does your self-worth come from? It comes from the food in your belly, the water in your mouth, and the shelter that you have provided, and the relationships that you have engaged in. Then you'll have self-esteem. And then once you get your self-esteem, then finally you can be like the peak of humanity. Shakespeare, to thy own self be true. Descartes, I think, therefore I am. 
The notion that you have a, a, a recognition of your place in the world and you self-actualize, you ask the big questions. Who am I? What am I doing? What's my purpose? What's about life? So the argument by Maslow is like a kid in rural America that is in poverty, or a kid in the inner city in poverty can't process these stages. They can't ask who they are. They don't have a self-esteem because they're still working on where am I going to get my bread from? Who am I going to be living with? And there's a sense of truth to that. But I'm telling you, if you focus in life on those first three stages, even those first four stages, you are an animal. You are a human doer. You are simply a number in the midst of a crowd. Children of God. No one thing. The kingdom of heaven flips everything upside down, doesn't it? To live, I must die. To serve, I'm, I, to lead, I must serve. So the kingdom paradigm is the complete opposite. If you flip it over, this is how you process things as an Esther. If I perish, I per perish. It's okay, because the Lord has called me. Next slide, please. The pyramid is flipped. This is a son. This is a daughter. When you know who you are, that you have been found and purchased by the blood of Jesus, I am telling you through experience, your self-esteem is going to explode because you know who you are before the Father. It doesn't matter what people say it to me anymore. It doesn't matter if someone drives me nuts anymore. It doesn't matter because I am loved by He who matters. And when you get that, then your self-esteem starts to grow. Then you can walk out in healthy and loving relationships. And then finally find shelter. Shelter comes, shelter doesn't come. It doesn't matter really anymore because you know who you are. And you know your promises. And you know what matters in life. You see, too many of us have focused on the physical needs and the safety and the love and the belongingness. And if you do that, you're just an animal. You're a corporate animal that exists to breed consumption. Oh, but the kingdom, the kingdom is so much different, man. So this is a blockage. You've got to flip your paradigm. You have to say, you know what? What's, what's, what's first and foremost is who am I? Not the kingdom I build, but who am I before a loving father? It releases everything. It releases everything in your life, man. And if you have a big house or a small house or no house, you're like, oh, the son of God says that he follows me, doesn't even know where to place his head. And that's okay. Wherever the wind blows is such as a disciple. Wherever the wind blows, no one knows, but that's where a disciple goes. It doesn't matter anymore. The last piece of the blockage, we had the pyramid, we had the other things, but so we have the, the pyramid of what you focus on. We have, we have, we, we have this notion of like, well, I, I don't know if I, if, if I can be used by him. Our blockage, right? You still think you're a number. You run this rat race to try to do all this crazy stuff. And so really what this leads me to is, all right, well, what about my past? past is too bad. My past is too horrible. I'm just a number. I just, I just, God doesn't want me. He doesn't want to use me. And here's something very powerful. We go to the last slide and it's this. It's unbelievable. The hero of the Jewish people, his name is Mordecai and Esther. God is so good. 
Mordecai is a Babylonian name coming from the god of Marduk, a pagan god, the most powerful, sinful, pagan god of all of Persia. And Esther, oh sweet Esther, she was given the name Ishtar, which is such a sinful, seductress goddess to be worshipped. Two heroines, a hero and a heroine of the Bible, their parents gave them names that honored pagan influence. They gave them names and marked them at birth to be used for pagan purposes. But God took them and said, it doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter what you served in the past. What matters is who you are now. Marduk, like the enemy of Yahweh, is Mordecai, is the name. Ishtar, the fertility goddess of sex and adultery and all this kind of stuff. That's her name. But what's so beautiful is the opening, the opening of the book of Esther. It says, Esther, who is also known as Hadassah. Esther's Hebrew name is Hadassah, but she went on the street as Esther. Probably to hide who she was. Hadassah means a couple things in Hebrew. One, it means a myrtle tree, but more poetically, it's one who has been hidden. One who has been hidden. Just like in the book of Esther, it's today. The one who is hidden is now being revealed to bring the kingdom of God to earth. You may have been hidden for such a time as this, and now it's time for you to be exposed to the world. You may say, what? I haven't really done anything significant in my life anymore. That's right. That's because you're a Hadassah. You have one that has been hidden and protected for such a time as this, and now it's time to be revealed unto all flesh. It's time to be revealed and walk out your destiny, not as a number, but as a son and daughter of the Most High God. God, and it comes when you acknowledge the oil and the perfume and the purpose and the destiny on your life. So I leave you with this. The heroes of faith is over. And I leave you with the last hero and the last heroine of faith. Not Esther, not David, not Isaiah. Isaiah, not Jeremiah, but you. You are the heroes of faith now. What shall your children write about you? What shall your grandchildren write about you? Live a life that is worthy of having a song written about. Live a life that is worthy of memoirs being written. Live a life that is worthy to be ushered into the book of life. Amen? So, you are not a number. So, people of God, it's time to arise. It's time to stand up and be counted. It's time to stand up and be counted before God. It's time to stand up and be counted before man. I am not a number. I am not a tax refund. I am not a social security number. I am here to bring the kingdom of God unto earth. So stand. Be counted before King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? For you are the heroes and the heroines of faith. You are. You are. You are. There's no questions. There's no second guessing. There's none of that. You have it. You have it. You have been called for such a time as it. You're going to leave here. And within moments or hours, Satan is going to say, no, you're a number. You got to go back to work tomorrow. That's right, Satan. I got to go back to work tomorrow. But when I place my feet on the ground, it's going to cause heaven to tremble. Because when I go to work tomorrow, I'm going to be a light in darkness. I'm going to be salt in a bitter world. And I'm going to show people what it's like to live in light. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray. We thank you, Lord God, 
forgive us lives and testimonies that can be accounted unto us as righteousness because of Jesus. We thank you that you are beginning something new here, that healings are being released, that salvations are happening, that baptisms are occurring, oh God. We praise your name, oh God, that we don't have to say, wow, the book of Acts is pretty cool. We have the ability to say, dang, Bristol Hope and Bristol is pretty cool because you are working in here. You're working in here, Lord God, and we just give you praise and thanksgiving. Father, I pray protection. I pray protection right now that when we leave, we do not listen to the lies. It just says you're a number. Oh, no. I'm not a number. I'm a beloved. I'm not a number that smells like Old Spice in the afternoon. I'm a number that smells like the blood of Jesus. I, oh. I just invite you to stay in a place of, of worship. Go downstairs and have some food. But if you want to just walk this out a little more, and you're like, Dave, I just feel like I've just been a cog in the wheel. I've been, I've, been, I've been running up and to and fro on the corporate ladder and I'm so confused, I don't even know what's going on anymore. But we want you to come on down. We just want to stand by you and release the anointing that was on Esther to be upon you. That you were born for such a time as this. That if you perish, you perish. You just lay down your wants. You lay down your needs. You lay it all down, all down to the Lord to be released. Amen. Walk out in the spirit of the heroes of faith. That we should add your name to Hebrews chapter 10 one day. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Come on down for prayer if you need it.